Hello everybody, Dr. F. Scott Field here, and I'd like to introduce you to our newest sponsor. The NPTE Final Frontier is the review course that I wish was around when I took the board exam. For those of you who know my story, it took me a handful of times to pass that exam, and quite frankly, I really wish I had an, a, an exam review course around, uh, just like the NPTE Final Frontier. Uh, check out their website, npteff.com, and use the code HET at checkout for 10% off to all of our listeners and fans. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. F. Scott Field, uh, and I've got with me today a very special guest, Dr. Mark Reinking, who is actually the president currently of the American Council of Academic Physical Therapy, uh, affectionately known as ACAPT. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for coming on to, to talk about all the great things you guys are doing at ACAP. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, your academic journey and how it's led you to where you are today? Yeah, happy to do that. And thank you, uh, Scott, for having me on today. Um, my academic journey, I, I'll, I'll try to be brief because it's been a bit circuitous. I hear you. Uh, started my a professional life out of college as a high school teacher and coach. Did that for seven years. Found myself really drawn to uh, working with athletic trainers um, and sport injury as a result of my coaching. <clears throat> so I decided to become an athletic trainer and teacher. And I started that process here in Denver, actually. And my, one of my supervising ATs was also a PT and got talking with her and she'd come in my biology class and talk about what it meant to be a PT. And I'm like, hmm, that sounds really interesting. So I finished my athletic training certification, but then went to PT school um, at a school in Indianapolis, what was Indiana Central, now University of Indianapolis. While I was in PT school, I worked as an athletic trainer and got my certification. Uh, and then I actually taught anatomy and physiology to nurses while I was in PT school. And then when I got out of PT school, I started uh, the whole adjunct thing at University of Indianapolis and then got an opportunity to help start a new program in Dubuque, Iowa at a, a place called Clark College then. And so did that, decided academia really fit for me um, and thought I had to get the uh, union card, get my PhD. So I saw a job advertisement for a sports PT at St. Louis University to be a member of the faculty and to work with athletics. So I jumped on that and moved to St. Louis with my family. I started doing my um, PhD at St. Louis University in higher ed and worked with athletics there for 16 years. Became chair of the department, did that for nine years, and then had this opportunity to be dean here at Regis University in Denver, Colorado, which my wife and I were really excited about because uh, we had been in Denver and this is a chance to come back. And, you know, I had been a faculty member and then chair and you know, I felt like that was a good next step to be dean. And so in August of 15, I took this position. So I'm beginning my eighth year here at Regis University. Wow. Time flies, huh? Well, my goodness. <laughs> uh I love that uh, that career story because it really, I mean, you dabbled in a lot on your on your way to where you're at now. So I love that. I, I mean, I was an English major before I was a physical therapist, so I, I get the winding road, you know. And uh, my brother was a, a, an athletic trainer while I was in PT school. We lived together at East Carolina University when it was still a master's program, and uh, he ended up going into nursing school, then went to NP. Uh, he's now a nurse practitioner, but. Uh, mm -hmm. 
it was really cool living with him while I was in PT school and he was in athletic training school. We got a lot of overlap. So that was pretty fun. Well, Mark, if you wouldn't mind, uh, the main reason we're here today and and really what I'd want to dive into is could could you tell us a little bit about ACAPT, right? Like what what's the history of ACAPT? What what need did it fill? How did it come to be? Yeah, that's you know, that's a great question. And we could talk a long time about that. I'm just gonna give you a a, a short history um of what led to ACAPT and if you go way back in time, there was uh, what was called the Council of Physical Therapy School Directors that was formed way back in the 40s. And it was literally program directors that came together. It became official actually in the early 60s, although it was kind of informal for a number of years and then became official. And then in 1972 or three, it actually was decommissioned um, with the uh, as the um, what was then section for education really was developing. And the um, program directors formed a SIG called the Academic Administrator SIG inside the section for education. I think you and probably many people who listen to this um, know what SIGs are, their special interest group. And, you know, the the SIG was the home for the academic leaders in, in PT programs around the country. And, you know, there was a lot of sharing information. I, I was involved in the SIG when I uh, started my career in academia in the mid-90s. And, you know, we would talk about accreditation and curriculum and, and student professional behaviors. And the academic ad administrators felt that while we had a, a small voice as a SIG inside a section, that we did not really have the opportunity to to do to have a substantive voice in academic physical therapy and we defined academic physical therapy as not just what happens in the classroom but research and most importantly clinical education that's all what we considered academic phys physical therapy the asig actually formed uh, a working group and um, I was part of that working group to consider what could we do. Um, and there were some, you know, very influential people in, in that group um, from around the country. And we really felt that we needed a separate organization rather than being a SIG inside of a, um, a section, a separate organization for institutions. Now, Scott, keep in mind, if you look at our peer health professions, you know, the uh, physicians have AAMC, the American Association of Medical Colleges, and um, PA has the PA Education Association, and pharmacy has the um, Association of Colleges of Pharmacy, ACP. So we had peer partners who had these organizations that were really focused on institutions that that had their programs, medicine, nursing, pharmacy, PA, social work. And, and so members were institutions and not individuals. And the, keep in mind, ASIG was individuals, right? So, um, you know, there were some institutions who had program directors that were involved in ASIG and some that didn't. And so the, the working group brought forward a proposal to um, the ASIG to 
petition to, to move forward with petitioning the APTA that would we would form this new entity, ACAPT. And so it was in 2013, actually, that the House of Delegates finally, not finally, but heard this proposal um, to form ACAPT. And, and ACAPT then had the, um, we became initially a component of the, uh, of the uh, APTA. But again, the, we're, we're very different. So Section for Education, I'm a member of the Academy, American Academy of Sports Physical Therapy, you know, the Ortho Academy, all, all of those are member-driven, individual member-driven, but ACAP now we've formed, and the members who pay the dues are institutions, not individuals. The focus being on academic physical therapy and and how do we promote excellence in academic physical therapy. I'll stop there. And uh, that was a, a little lengthy. No, <laughs> no, that's great. I, that's I think we, we, we need to know, you know, where we came from to, yeah. to kind of get to where we're at now. So that begs the next question then, you know, from then, how has it evolved? What are you, what are you guys up to now? What do you do? What do you guys push yeah. for as far as uh, initiatives and stuff? So our focus is on how do we promote excellence in academic physical therapy? And that's different than the question of are you accredited or not? Because accreditation in any professional um, um, group is a minimum standard, right? So, you know, we have all the CAPTI standards and, you know, you have to meet those to be accredited. But those are minimum standards and they aren't necessarily um, standards of excellence. And so we... Uh, ACAPT has taken it upon itself to um, really formulate what does it mean to promote excellence in physical therapy education, in, in academic physical therapy. Um, so I will tell you that from 2015 to 2018, I served as vice president of ACAPT under Barb Sanders, who was the president at that time. I was so excited about how we were bringing institutions together to really find common um, issues across institutions and helping those institutions really work with their administration to, to promote what we consider to be excellence in um, academic physical therapy. Now, I will tell you a couple of things. We had a we had a workshop um, that we invited certain participants to to really help define what excellence in physical therapy, in academic physical therapy is, and that that work has uh, resulted in a document that we have on our ACAP website that defines what we consider to be excellence in physical therapy. So it's a framework that actually has been um, now published that says, you know, here are, here are the, the, what we consider to be the framework of excellence. For example, embracing innovation, um, sustaining a spirit of scholarship, um, promoting inclusivity in our programs, um, establishing partnerships between clinical sites and academic sites, and how we best create those partnerships where both entities, the clinic and the academic uh, program are benefited from that. I mean, for years, you know, we've asked clinics to take our students and, you know, what do they get from that? You know, 
and you know, I, I you probably have been, and I've been a clinical instructor, and you know that takes additional time, and and you're investing time in in you know these future physical therapists. But we really wanted to to promote this idea of partnership between the clinic and um, and the academic institution. I mean, so, that's one of the reasons this podcast was started, right? It, it was trying to bridge the gap between the ivory tower of academia, right, and and clinical education. You know it. I, I had a bumpy ride going through PT school. My one of my co-hosts, former co-host Brandon, did as well, and that's why we started the you know the the podcast. Was like, okay, we're not academicians, we're not experts, right? Uh, we know that there's best practices out there, at least we think there are, right? So let's get the experts on to talk about it. Let's see right. what they think is broken, and let's see you know their idea on how to fix it and how to make things better. Uh, and and it's not just in PT school. We've borrowed, we've had nurses on, we've had doctors, dentists, you know, OT speech. We try to, you know, break down the silos a little and just see what's going on in healthcare education and see how can we find best practices? How can we get rid of some things that maybe aren't working? You know, right. like right. it's it's been a it's been a great journey. And again, thanks to to people like you for for doing the hard work. And Barb Sanders, one of my my mentors, she uh you know, was always there for me and actually helped guide me into academia when I was kind of on the fence and wasn't really sure about it. She was a, an excellent sounding board for me and and a great North Star and somebody to learn from. So uh, again, kudos to you guys for for doing the hard work and, and laying the foundation for, for future generations to come. We appreciate that. Well, it's, you know, it's a journey and I have to give, you know, kudos to those that preceded me as presidents of ACAPT. You know, as I think about the the evolution of ACAPT, and by the way, we currently have somewhere around 91% of all the PT programs in the country that are members of ACAPT. I mean, that that speaks a lot, doesn't it? That, you know, they see the value in this organization. And when you have that kind of huge participation from the academic institutions in the country, then you begin to say, you know, we have a voice. This is almost all of the PT programs. And how do we articulate that voice? Uh, I'll mention this summer we had the, so we have a commission, the National Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Commission that was formed within ACAPT back in 2020, yes. 2020. And this summer was the NEDIC summit where we came together with, I don't know, 70, brought 70 people together to really address issues of justice, diversity, equity, inclusion in physical therapy, in our students, in our faculty, in our leaders. And the summit was just the beginning of the process. We're going to be forming work groups out of the summit to really address issues like how do we get middle school and high school uh, students interested in physical therapy? How do we take away the barriers to those who are from historically marginalized population? How do we take away those barriers to get into PT school? How do we support learning in PT school from those who may have come from um, not as rich of a academic background? And then how do you increase the uh, mix of diversity among our faculty than among the leadership in academic physical therapy. We have a we have so much work to do in this area, so much work to do. And this was just the beginning, but I was so excited to be invited as a member of this summit because the the 
conversations were rich and more importantly the focus was always on action what are we going to do to change things because the representation as you know of folks from historically marginalized populations in our physical therapy community is nowhere near what it needs to be well so let's talk about that a little this is actually interesting because you know, you said like, hey, ACAPT is more of a, an institutional organization where the universities are coming together and becoming members, right? So how can people then get involved if let's say, all right, my university's a, a member of ACAPT and they support it and, and you know, want to hear what's coming down the pipeline. How can uh, people, members of my university then get involved? What can they that's, do to help out? That's a great question. So each university has a, a, a representative to ACAPT. And that's the, you know, in some cases, it's the program director, and in some cases, it's the DCE. And in some cases, it may be a faculty member that the program has appointed to be the member rep. Uh, I would say most of the member reps at this point in time are program directors, but not all. We have a business meeting once a year where we come together at the Education Leadership Conference, and we do the business of the organization. Now, we have had um, historically a number of consortia, uh, which are groups of folks that um, come together with like uh, interests, like a consortium on um, early assurance programs. Those are those programs where, and I, I lived that at SLU, where our students started PT school in their senior year of college and then did their senior year and two additional years, and then graduated. So they, they had two years of graduate um, tuition rather than three. I don't wanna digress. So there's a group of folks that formed a like, of like interest that formed a consortium, and there's a consortium on research intensive PT programs, and there's a consortium, a national clinical education consortium. And so these consortia would bring in individuals from uh, institutions, you know, um, there's a, let's say there's a person who's interested in humanities in the um, curriculum, and we have a consortium on humanity and uh, pedagogy in as one of the consortia. So historically, folks have been involved, folks who have interest have gotten involved in consortium activities. Plus, we put out calls, we ACAPT, put out calls relatively frequently to ask for volunteers to, we recently formed a committee on advocacy, and so we asked for volunteers to serve on that committee. We, uh, you know, formed task forces to address certain issues. I will tell you that during COVID, I think it was during COVID where the, the amazing potential of ACAPT began to be re realized in all of the resources. In, and I give all the credit to Barb and the board at that point in time, because they gathered all of these resources for programs. I'm like, how are we going to do this? You know, how are we going to live in this world? I mean, I remember it here in March of 20, where we met with the faculty and said, you know what, we're going completely virtual next week. Now, how are we going to do this? And we used resources that were available through ACAPT. And so, I, you know, I think what ACAPT showed at that point in time is what, what can an organization like ACAPT offer? Just today, we reached out, uh, Scott, to those programs and institutions affected by the hurricane. 
And, you know, we, we said, how can we connect you? Do you need anything? We can connect you with programs all over the country if there's things that you might need. Historically, these consortia, interprofessional education, humanity, ethics, and professionalism, education and pedagogy, we had a DEI consortium. All of these consortia were places where individuals came to and had the opportunity then to dive with folks from other institutions around the country to dive into the tough questions that all of us are facing. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a pretty awesome opportunity for those interested in healthcare education. So I think, uh, you know, the opportunities definitely sound like they're out there. It sounds like you just have to, you know, look on the website and check things out and see what opportunities might be coming your way that uh, may interest you. Um, or definitely get in touch with your uh, representative from your university uh, who, who represents you at ACAP. Um, you, you referenced a, a conference earlier in the business meeting, the ELC conference, right? The Educational Leadership Conference. That's coming up here soon at the end of the month, right? It is. Talk to us a little bit about that. I'm excited. I'm jazzed up for that. So uh, let me tell you, ELC, um, and again, I give credit to the folks that had this vision. So ELC is co-sponsored by the Academy of Education and the APTA and ACAP. So it's not it's not their conference or uh, it's our collective conference. And um, the Education Leadership Conference was started with the vision of bringing not just academic educators, but clinical educators together, really focused on what it means to be involved in the education of physical therapists and physical therapist assistants. And so, um, geez, this I think is the, I don't know, 16th or 17th uh, ELC. Um, it's in Milwaukee this year. Um, you can still register. Um, the program, if you look at the program, our program committee and our program committee, which is a fusion of folks from AOE. So Danielle Parker, um, excuse me, Danielle Parker from Academy of Education and Merrill Landers from ACAPT are, are the folks that, that were the program um, co-chairs. And they bring together an amazing group of people that create this um, program that is just awesome. All of the um, presentations, the uh, breakout sessions, the posters, there is just so much available there. And last year I was walking, it was on Sunday, actually, the last day. So by the way, this is uh, the 28th to 30th. So end of the month of October, Thursday uh, evening, we start uh, Thursday, some pre-con courses, but Friday really starts the conference. Um, there's always a, a big keynote. The um, Geneva R. Johnson Forum is always the keynote. This year, it's social responsibility and physical therapy. Are we there? And um, Dr. Michael Blackwell, who's actually comes from a veterinary background, is presenting on what it means to be to attend a social responsibility in a profession. So that's a really cool thing. Um, so it be it always begins with the GRJ forum on Friday morning, and then there's programming Friday afternoon. We uh, the member reps get together with the ACAP board, and we do our business meeting. Um, by the way, there's a hot topics on Thursday evening that we're excited about, where people will be invited to come to tables and talk about hot topics and 
professional behavior and physical therapy and physical therapy assistant students, for example. Um, but last year on Sunday, I was um, riding back to the airport and I was sitting next to a woman who was a um, SCCE, site coordinator of clinical education at a clinical facility. And she was headed to the airport as well. And, and we both were still wearing our lanyards and our name text. And we're like, oh, you're going to the airport? We're just at uh, ELC. And she said, you know, I, I've been involved in PT for a long time. You know, I, I don't know, 16, 17 years, something like that. She said, I have never been to a conference that was so impactful as ELC. She said, and it was her first time. And she said, without question, I'm going to go to ELC again and again and again, because she felt as a clinical educator that there was so much programming that was um, relevant to her. Um, and it was good to hear that, right? Because there, for too long, we put clin ed in one silo and didactic education in another silo, and we just didn't interact. And this this conference, again, I give all the credit to the folks that had this vision uh, many years ago. This conference is meant to bring all of us together and to talk collectively and sometimes have hard conversations, right? You know, the clinical educators saying, your students have to be, be better prepared in X when they come to us. We, that can't be our job to get them ready for this, whatever that might be. Um, and, you know, we got to hear that, right? Um, so... I'm excited about it. Uh, if there are folks that are listening and thinking, wow, I don't know if I could make that happen, but it sounds interesting. I, I would, uh, I'd encourage you to at least think about it. Um, registration, I think right now is 350 for uh, members of the APTA and 450 for non-members. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, we'll drop the links for that in the show notes so people can find it easily and uh, register through the end of the month. I'll give a shameless plug. I'm presenting on Sunday at a breakout session on oh, the student, student loan debt crisis. So uh, that'll be fun. That's interesting uh, that you bring that up. That's a well, that's a topic I've been very involved in. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, and again, it's uh, the number one most given answer to this next question uh, we ask all of our guests. But if you could change one aspect of higher education, whether that be DPT or otherwise, which aspect would you change? Why would you change it? And how would you change it? Yeah, so Scott, I, you posed that question in the email, and, and I've been thinking about that, and I'm probably going to cheat because I'm going to say there are two things. One, we have to improve the diversity of our students in programs in the diversity of faculty. Now, how do we do that? We, we look carefully at how we do admissions. I'm going to start there. There's actually some work that we have to do behind that in, in terms of making folks in historically marginalized populations aware of who physical therapists are and what they do. But if, if we look at getting into PT school, we have had barriers for years in how we did this. And, and you know what kind of point allocation you give in your admissions process to the GRE school or to the uh, GPA. And, and you know we've learned some really important things about holistic admissions. And we've made the change here at Regis as of um, last year in how we do admissions. I'm pleased to say that we had a significant bump in uh, students from um, non-Caucasian populations in our um, class that started this fall. I think we're at 48% diversity, which is the highest Regis has ever been. But that's just the beginning, right? 
So bringing those folks into programs and making sure you have the resources to support them within the program. But then we have to have a faculty that look like our students. And that's an ongoing challenge. We are at Regis, we're looking at ways that we can really promote interest among folks from diverse populations in a faculty position here. And you know, Scott, when you go on a website of a program and you look at their faculty and everybody is Caucasian, that's a problem. And that's a problem with, that we're facing here. And folks don't want to come and say, well, I'm the only person of diversity. And so we are talking to folks that represent that population and help us understand what we need to do. So what one thing I would change is the diversity of our student population, our faculty population, and our, our academic leaders. But then debt is the other issue that I have to raise. And I served on the national um, task force uh, formed between APTA, uh, AOE, and ACAP back in 20, must have been in 2018 or 19, actually it was in 19, I believe that we formed, where we studied this issue of debt. We had some students that were not part of the task force and we generated a report. Part of that had to do with admissions um, and how we do admissions and how we make students aware of what it costs, right? So we make it completely transparent. So if Scott wants to come to Regis to go to PT school, he can go on our website and within a click, he knows what it's going to cost to go to Regis University. The other thing, and that's just one thing is transparency of cost. The other thing is we have to look at how we structure our programs, what the curricular like, how many credit hours we have, and is there a way that we can um, be creative and, and innovative in our curriculum and perhaps decrease credit hours. You know, I mean, the, at SLU, that three plus three model is a money-saving model, right? Because the students are only paying two years of graduate tuition. Um, now, I'm not saying that every PT program should be three, three, but that's one model, right? And I think we're all aware that there are now um, hybrid programs out there where, you know, students are of University X are all over the country, and then they go to wherever that university is and do these week-long intensives where they, or two-week-long intensives, depends on the place where they, you know, work on manual skills or do dissections on cadavers or whatever it might be. Um, those programs have shortened the time. Um, so, uh, yeah, diversity and student debt, those are two things that have always been on my mind. Yeah, I... I have to say that, uh, you know, obviously student loan debt's a big one for me, right? That's the number one most given answer on, on the podcast. And, and it's the reason that I ended up, you know, writing my book uh, on, on, you know, alternative revenue streams for, for healthcare providers, right? Because we have such great skill sets. We learn them in grad school. We even before that, right? We, we learn critical thinking. We learn organization. We learn prioritization. We learn systematization, right? So it's like there's all these great skill sets that we have. Then you take on the fact that we know a lot about the musculoskeletal system and it's like, hey, the world's your oyster, man. You can do whatever you want. You just got to leverage it. You know, you got to figure it out, solve a problem for a population uh, and, you you know, you've got a business. You're good to go, you know, so get out there and, and do it because physical therapy is such a great profession. Uh, it's just you got to put in the time, right? It's it's kind of what you make of it. And yep. so, and I want to add to that. Thank you for that, because. Yep. 
I need to make sure I, I go on record and saying student debt is not just a university problem. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's systematic. It's, it's it's systematic. And and you know, my my daughter is a physical therapist here in, in Colorado. She works down at Children's Hospital. And when she started there, her salary when she started there wasn't dramatically different than my salary when I started my practice in 1988. That has everything to do with reimbursement. And I mean, you know this story, you know what, I mean, clinics have a limited resource of pay and they they have to, you know, take in their insurance payments and then pay their physical therapists who they employ. We have ongoing issues with um, reimbursement and that's part of, you know, why does my son who's a physician make so much more than my daughter who's a physical therapist? Well, part of that is what Jason's able to bill in in uh, as a physician compared to what Sarah's able to bill as a physical therapist. So uh, we have interesting healthcare conversations in my family with a couple of PTs and a physician. My wife's a pastor, so she uh, makes sure everyone, you know, stays. Yeah, mediates, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, I can't thank you enough for taking the time and for coming on and, like I said, sharing your knowledge and, and educating our audience about all things ACAP and, and ELC. Uh, where can people find you if they want to reach out or just ask more follow-up questions or, uh, you know, just want to see what you're up to these days? Yeah, I, I, I welcome conversation as I do with, um, you know, our, our students, our faculty. So I'm at Regis University. Um, if you go to the regis.edu website, you can easily find me, R-E-I-N-K-I-N-G, Reinking, Mark Reinking. Um, my uh, email is mreinking at regis.edu. Very simple. Um Happy for folks uh, to to send questions and, you know, feel free to send hard questions because, you know, I know we continue to face challenges in academic physical therapy and ACAPT is really committed to understanding what those challenges are, putting together people who are really smart from all over the country to try to solve those problems. I want to say one thing, we, we have just formed a center for excellence that's doing a lot of data collection from programs all over the country that are ACAPT members and our intent is that we can understand better what we all do, right? And to understand that you need data. So this Center for Excellence, we, Excellence we've formed, um, which is really our data center, uh, we are so excited about that center informing us about where we need to go. Awesome. Well, Mark, thanks again. Like I said, we appreciate your time and for coming on and uh, look forward to catching up with you at ELC. Yeah, good to see you and see you at ELC.